Welcome to the Space Comedy Podcast. I'm Alex, here with Fox, and today our guest is John Desjardins from the Indigenous Resource Network. Uh, the Indigenous Resource Network is a platform for Indigenous workers, business owners, and leaders who support Indigenous engagement in the resource sector. I'm looking forward to talking to you for a long time, so welcome to the podcast, John. It's my absolute pleasure. No, it's something I wanted to make the time for, so to share what we do, absolutely. My pleasure. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're, you're as excited to talk to us as we are to you. Yeah, you guys first showed up on my radar probably about a year or so ago, um, yep. and, and you have kind of the opposite um, messaging that, mm-hmm. that we usually hear from um from the energy environmental activists, uh, mm-hmm. they sort of have a, a narrative about development and what indigenous people want to do with, uh, you know, their land and, and so on and so forth. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, you know, my I guess my first question would be, uh, what? How did you guys start? Right? How did How did the Indigenous Resource Network start? Absolutely. So we started with a group of indigenous professionals that were intimately involved in, in the natural resource space. And so in a variety of capacities, either working in, for, or within the supply chains in the industry and the economic development interests related to the natural resource industry. And so a lot of us kind of knew each other. Um, you know, several, several of us kind of got together and facilitated a greater conversation and we all had the same sentiments. Um, you know, there, there's people kind of speaking for generally the indigenous, um, perspective and the indigenous, indigenous, um, um, participation in the resource sector. And then we felt that it wasn't fair because not only were they not representing, I think, our voice and our experience in it, um, but also, um, you know, we felt compelled to be able to, you know, again, um, tell a narrative that that kind of balanced the sensationalization of Indigenous participation in the resource sector uh, and tell those good stories um, and, and in, inspire um, progressive development that mm-hmm. includes Indigenous participation, includes the participation we've experienced, but also includes um, participation driven from our, our value systems in terms of sustainability, reciprocity, uh, environmental protection, but also very practical and pragmatic um, in terms of realizing you know, what are the needs of society, of the globe, of the world, um, how do we achieve, um, you know, targets? Um, climate change is not a national phenomenon. It's not, not a demographic or a regional. It's, it's a global phenomenon. How do we have meaningful, practical conversations uh, in regards to that? And how do, what, what does Indigenous um, participation and representation look like that? And so, um, yeah, we organize around that sentiment, uh, realized we need to start telling stories, which highlighted what we felt was already the incredible economic and socioeconomic impact of the industries. And um, yeah, and tell those stories as well too, because you know media wasn't picking them up and, and we thought what a great opportunity and time to talk about those um, and to move development along in a good way in, in which highlights um, yeah, good indigenous participation and engagement. Right. Yeah, yeah I mean, the, the biggest thing I see is just you know, you guys have to put out your own message because the message that's incentivized all the way up to Hollywood, you know, mm-hmm. let's say the Avatar movie or something like that. It's mm-hmm. just training, training indigenous people as, um, you know, you never want to extract any resources from the earth. Um, you, you don't want development. You, you know, you want to, you don't want to uh, have a higher standard of living. Um, mm-hmm. You know, one of the, one of the graphics that you guys posted recently that I really liked, um, it kind of juxtaposed 
climate activists who are um, throwing maple syrup at paintings <laughs> and trying to destroy property, whereas indigenous people are working towards autonomy and self-determination um, while activists are working towards destroying property. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, what? how has the reception been? I don't know when, when your organization started, but what's the reception been uh, from the media who maybe um, is more biased towards one side, portraying one you know side of the indigenous uh, <laughs> you know story on this versus your side. What I'm finding, it's, it's picking up. Um, a media is starting to realize because there's an incredible story there too. Um, you know what what media pick is picking up is is the sensationalization of reconciliation, and so reconciliation in Canada. Um, you know, we, we just, uh, we're actually really fortunate to speak to, um, the ambassador, uh, to Canada, the U S ambassador to Canada, um, you know, who, who spoke to indigenous rights, um, and indigenous engagement in, in the same vein as the reconciliation. Um, but what we found was, and what we're finding is that that media also likes to hear those good stories in terms of how indigenous people are moving forward, how indigenous people achieving greater equitable participation in all areas, um, you know, public policy, informing public policy decision-making, but also resource development. Um, you know, what does uh, the socioeconomic impact look like? What does economic reconciliation look like as it relates to the resource industry? And so we're finding there is a shift um, in appetite for the stories that we tell them, how we tell them, um, because uh, you know, we're not, we're, we're certainly not industry zealots. Uh, we don't want to advance oil and gas. We don't want to advance mining for the sake of doing that. We want to advance it because a lot of us recognize that we were, um, you know, participants in, in natural resource development historically. And so in terms of harvesting resources, harvesting um, for sustenance, uh, for economic means, for trade, uh, this is not new. Uh, we were always engaged and involved in natural resource development, but it was just it was just um, reflective of 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 our growth, of our development, of, of how we sustain, how we lived, how we practice ceremony and culture. And so that all ex always existed. Um, we're also very um, capable and and developed in a way that um, you know industry has moved, everything's moved. Um, you know, everyone's using um, you know sophisticated means of telecommunications. Um, everyone's engaged in, in, you know, the electrification of, of, of uh, society. Uh, we are engaged in it as well, too. We use power. We use uh, gas. We use, um, you know, uh, resources, commodities, uh, wood products in, in all innovative and in new uh, ways. And so uh, what is it? What does Indigenous particip participation look like uh, in that regard? And so... A lot of us, yeah, we want to tell that story. And so, you know, we like, we, some of us, not, not so much like, but I mean, we recognize we got to fly around. We got, we got to drive around. We got to move around. Uh, we got to build new infrastructure that meets, um, you know, uh, population growth and demands, uh, infrastructure resilience and everything like that. And so the resources that support that, we understand that relationship. And so uh, we've been telling stories in that regard and we're finding they're picking them up. Um, and it's very important to us to tell them in a in a nonpartisan way because, uh, you know, yeah. we represent people all across the spectrum in terms of their ideals, um, and so we want to tell them in a way that doesn't polarize, doesn't stand against any particular government, but stand in terms of in front of policy or or decision making or regulatory regimes that don't include indigenous participation in that conversation, um, and and yeah, and then temper that and then challenge the narrative that. 
indigenous people all roadblock all you know that's what we do we're activists uh-huh. and things like that there's like yeah. no they're they're there and absolutely um you know uh, assert your your sovereignty and assert your your independence um but we're going to do the same as well too um in much more practical ways um yeah. and 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 understanding this is this is how you move governments and industry forward um you know sure absolutely public sentiment and and those polarizations does you know, catalyze or, or or influence government and industry in certain ways. But we found that there's also incredible success and moving kind of industry from within, moving industry forward um, in terms of their practices uh, from from within and, and from an equitable pers- perspective, from an ownership perspective. And um, we're finding that it's a different story. And then people are starting to pick it up and understand. Yeah, especially as as media starts to realize, like this is this is not advocate industry advocacy. This is this is indigenous advocacy. And as they start to realize that, they're starting to pick it up more and more, and then understand, okay, there's there's a different story here to be told. Right. Um, yeah, which which kind of balances the narrative. Yeah. Well, what strikes me, I think it's it's just pragmatic advocacy. It's <laughs> saying that we need these resources to to live. It's just a fact. <laughs> that, you okay. know, you could snap your fingers. And say, oh well, no more gas, no more oil. Leave it all on the ground. Billions of people will die. I mean, we we literally mm-hmm. need these these resources to live. Um, mm-hmm. And I, you know, I'm just really struck by um, the stuff you guys put out there. Like another uh, infographic I see recently put out, just says climate change activists do not speak for indigenous people, and it shows um, you know an activist with a pink hat who uh, is saying, shut down Canada. Um, mm-hmm. so can, you, can you talk about that a little bit specifically with regards to pipelines, which are some of the most high-profile fights, and um, you know they're not they're not done in a pragmatic way where we talk about mm-hmm. how do we get the resource from point A to point B with a minimum disruption. You know, nobody wants oil and gas like seeping into the water or anything, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but how do we get the stuff from point A to point B? And benefit everyone along the way, where you know it's either it's their land, or they live near it, or they work there, or they they need the resource. Um, just talk about that. I, I guess with pipelines specifically, mm-hmm. like how uh, your organization's approach to that, and some of the the things that maybe you didn't anticipate about about these issues. Absolutely. So first, I guess as an indigenous person, I, I don't really blame. Um, or, or, you know, um, scold indigenous activists and climate activists uh, for their participation, because it's much like a lot of other things, not just in terms of industrialization, but in terms of um, reconciliation, in terms of equitable participation and decision making, everything. Um, there's there's a there's a growing um, a growing community of indigenous people that are just really frustrated with not being able to be part of those decisions. Um, You know, industry developed without much of their, not just their consent, but railroading rights, indigenous rights and things like that. And so um, I I don't blame the community for that polarization uh, and getting really frustrated. And we see that in everywhere. We see that in terms of, you know, um, you know, the church's relationship with Canada. We see incredible, um, you know, not constructive, not practical, pragmatic activism, and and of course our community. There's a there's a large community of indigenous people that are really against that type of messaging. That's not what we want to do. But at the same time, don't blame I don't blame people getting really upset and really frustrated. But it's just not how we would approach um, solutioning those types of issues. And uh, um, the other thing that kind of you know frustrates is 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 there is that polarized, frustrated indigenous group. Um, but again, you know, opportunists, climate activists, um, 
you know, really aligning with that without really um, aligning, you know, some of the history and, and context with that and things like that. And you know, some of those groups might actually be much more practical and pragmatic. Some of the, you know, members or whatever, um, if, if they were given a chance to equitably participate in the decision-making mm-hmm. policy, industry development, stuff like that. Um, whereas some people have, and then we're trying to create, yeah, the story around that, um, you know, what does, what does good decision-making and, and influencing greater outcomes and, and project development and, and things like that, but how that kind of lends itself to pipeline, pipeline development is, is, um, you know, again, being very frustrated, uh, that we didn't have a seat at the table. We didn't get to kind of temper and, and balance the, the speed of development, um, its environmental footprint with our values. We live in these areas, you know, pipeline is going yeah. through our areas, our traditional territories where we practice, uh, ceremony and then land use for sustenance and what we're finding and what we're showing and our stories are about how can you develop, how can you build a pipeline that's still very respective of the rights, um, you know, fully engages the epic free prior and informed consent. How do you engage this in the process that if we were to build something like that, that we're engaged in that we're engaged in its development, uh, ideally yeah. even in its capital planning and design, um, it's, it's, you know, infrastructure, asset resiliency and things like that, double wall monitoring and stuff. Um, so kind of tempering development, the speed of development and everything like that, um, which is not, not the speed, but the effectiveness of development in terms of its impact. Um, and also understanding there's, there's, you know, I think, uh, more of a responsibility to develop a pipeline that says, you know, the communities here are bearing great environmental risk, uh, and not just environmental, but also risk to rights and use and everything. Okay. How do we, how do we compensate? How do we engage them in that process that you know that that truly re- reflects um, the risk that they carry, and engage them in a way that says we honor that, we reward you for that, um, but more so, more progressively so, uh, right up front and saying, you know what? Why don't you, if you are bearing the risk? Uh, why don't you get engaged in the financial aspect? Why don't you yeah. own, uh, engage in the financial risk part of it, um, where it's, which is accelerating reconciliation because of the capacity that comes through that. When you all of a sudden own a large pipeline, um, then you're much more engaged in its design, its decision-making, its operation uh, to ensure greater um, sustainability, environmental footprint, um, you know, and all those aspects. And so... Um, but yeah, we look at things like like that. How do we how do we develop these things? The world needs oil and gas. It yep. will continue to need it for decades and decades and decades. And and um, you know and and oil and gas um, and, and especially gas. And and we we have a strong position on it. How does how does how does things like that help help achieve climate goals in terms of decarbonization and and offsetting coal use and things which you know emit greater rates of GHGs. And so um, how do we be part of kind of a global solution, develop things, temper kind of, you know, this sentiment, community sentiment around equitable participation, uh, not leave people out, and then move these things along much quicker through the regulatory process, not compromising on the integrity uh, of, the, of the process, but how do you make it more efficient, uh, you know, and, and, and get these projects up, up and off the ground quicker, yeah. inspire investment sentiment um, in terms of the risk um, and and do all those things and and helpfully and then all that cascades into indigenous people self-determining through economic development and so now 
those resources no longer re required on a paternal relationship with the government. Really? Uh, you know what? We can build our own infrastructure. We can design our own programming. We can uh, we can self uh, we can source fund a lot of the activity, as and then we can design the uh, programs and services and infrastructure in that way that engages our community, achieves all these rates even better. And there's great examples around that. And we we're diving in and telling those stories. And so look at the community that built the pipeline and that is building a terminal in terms of gas exports into where places where we never did. Not only that, not only look at the money, because that's what we talked about, look at the money they get, but look at what they're doing with that. Look at how their community is building capacity at greater rates, um, achieving greater socio you know, health outcomes, um, greater health outcomes, greater educational outcomes, um, cascading into some of those even more complex socioeconomic outcomes, like incarceration and engagement, um, injustice and things like that. And so we're pretty optimistic, practical in terms of that, um, how that, how those kind of links are made and, and tell those stories around that. And then ideally um, kind of temper and then inspire Indigenous people who have been polarized in terms of their environmental act activism and say, hey, we can do these things uh, and we can involve ourselves in a way that says we aren't going to we're not taking the same level of risk we did before. We can we can build these things in a way that ensures that we can use the land we've always used, ensures that, you know, we're making the decision now, right? And and so yeah, my experience from practical, from governance and from all those perspectives as a as a, an indigenous professional in that space is that um, you know, once we're engaged in that process, once we're treated as true partners um in that process, then, you know, we can understand the risk. We can accept yeah. some of that. Um, we can mitigate it in better ways. And so it's a whole different narrative. It's a narrative of kind of built my career on, on participating more meaningfully in. And, and the RN is, is truly a collection of people that get that. And how do we tell stories in a really meaningful way uh, that can people can operationalize, you know, those stories into their projects and project development. Um, and then, yeah, and then, you know, supply the world with the resources in, in an appropriate solution-based mix that it needs to meet climate goals, to meet environmental protection goals. Now the conversation to meet energy security goals, right? And yep. so that's that's the transition. And so uh, to balance all those aspects. Yeah, I, I think, and I think where a lot of um, environmentalists kind of uh, use, you know, indigenous narratives and uh, abuse them uh, in the mm -hmm. fact that like what you're saying is that development isn't, inherently bad development has mm -hmm. to benefit the the people that are being affected by it, it has, you mm -hmm. know as people have to have a tangible benefit uh, mm -hmm. environmentalists though are very eager to just say well that just means that development is bad period and we mm -hmm. need to use mm -hmm. indigenous people as shields to prevent development yep we without you know without considering the benefits that they could have um you know mm -hmm. one example that um is near and dear to us in our area um, you know, Indian Point Nuclear got shut down. Um, mm -hmm. It was the, it was the agreement was that it would be replaced by what's called Champlain Hudson Power Express, which is a uh, hydroelectric line that will run from um, somewhere in Canada. Can't remember mm -hmm. Hydro Quebec. So it run from yeah. Hydro Quebec down to New York City um, to partially replace the the emissionless clean energy that Indian Point was making before it was mm -hmm. prematurely. Tragically the, shut down. The nuclear power plant. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, one of the points of contention in this in our area is in, between environmentalists who um, who want to stop the project, and they're listening. You know, they're saying 
because of indigenous sovereignty, we need to block this project completely. Mm -hmm. And they're ignoring that, uh, you know, there are indigenous partners up in Canada, like uh, the Mohawk Council, who mm -hmm. are saying that this project would be a game changer for their mm -hmm. for their people. Like a beneficial. Yeah, yeah beneficial. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But what they're doing is they're choosing just to listen to the people that want to block the project. Mm -hmm. And just saying, well, if you don't, you know, if you don't agree with us, you don't support indigenous people. Yes. Uh, yeah. There's a whole other group that's like, oh, actually, we really want this. This would be really good. Yeah. We're gonna yeah. do well. Um, so probably you, even, probably yeah. even a larger group, right? A much larger group of indigenous people that are speaking to that. Yeah, and I think they're the ones that yeah. actually, where the the line will actually be be, be built. Um, <laughs> they're the ones that are gonna benefit the most and be the most <laughs> impacted by it. Whereas other people are further away. And I don't know exactly what the story is. So do <laughs> you see that a lot with um, different groups being played against each other for absolutely. For Absolutely. Um, there's there's a growing group of indigenous people that, again, and we have a campaign against that, um, you know, these groups don't speak for us. And I don't see how they're empowered um, to do so money. as well, too. <laughs> yeah, money, right? Self-interest and money. And, and yeah. you know, you follow a lot of the money. A lot of the groups are tied to different industries and things. You'll, you'll see climate activists that that advocates against um, carbon, carbon emitting that might be aligned with other development industries and things. And so, yeah, it, it's a really complex um, problem. And it's a problem when uh, these groups say that they speak for indigenous communities where they, they speak for a small facet. Um, and and that's, not, that's not fair, it's not appropriate. And that shouldn't um, drive development decisions. Um, that could be a stakeholder. That could be a voice, absolutely. But, but again, uh, we want to elevate those who are um, realizing want to move development forward, um, and then uh, and, and then challenge the conversation. Is that again, we're we're zealots and, and capitalists. Like uh, absolutely, by no means. Um, you know, I'm not compromising on my integrity, my value system, my. Um, you know, I consider myself a steward of, of my environment and, and, and protect in terms of um, unsustainable practices, um, in terms of protecting my ability to use my land. The image in the background is, is where I grew up. It's, it's right in the Saskatchewan River Delta, um, uh, one of the largest inland deltas in the world and very cognizant about that. Um, you know, nuclear, nuclear energy. So I was in uranium mining for 17 years. I was a health physicist and, and wow, an operator. Thanks, and, yeah, in the mining industry, so very and then very much engaged, and in, in the you know nuclear fuel cycle and the innovation and technology, and nerded out on it. Um, <laughs> but I also um, very much aware and studied kind of the environmental impact of of you know other renewables, right, or clean energy. So you know absolutely hydropower uh, doesn't have much of a of a of a carbon footprint, um, but its its environmental footprint is is devastating in terms of downstream impacts and events and can be if not managed appropriately yeah. um so you know to to say that's one good one over others and in terms of climate change um you know it's arguable what's what's the footprint on on a on a nuclear facility right in terms of carbon um and then there's envir other environmental aspects but uh, but yeah we want to tell the story from a balanced perspective is like yes there's there's environmental considerations and concerns for all technologies and we need to manage them with the appropriate innovation engineering um, design and, and practices, but at the same time, like, are we achieving kind of our global, our regional, our global goals? Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a big issue. Um, you know, there's a mix, there's a need for things. Um, you know, I was part of the industry when, you know, a, a severe, um, catastrophic incident influenced policy worldwide in regards to nuclear development. 
um, you know, which is, which is, which is, I could, I could see that I could get that, but again, we sensationalized its impact uh-huh. and not realizing its place in the global mix. Um, was Are it, you was referring it good... to Fukushima? Fukushima. Yeah, yeah. It was, you know, and, and, and you can question the design choices and placement stuff. And, and, and even speaking with, with, you know, the Japanese embassy and talking about, you know, we, we sensationalized the impacts, but we didn't talk about how some other facilities withstood, um, you know, withstood some of the, with the earthquake and, and maintained its safety and everything like that. And so, um, again, media got a hold of it, environmentalists got a hold of it, and an informed policy that uh, actually was was detrimental to the to the country of Japan in terms of their energy needs, sovereignty, security, and everything. And so, um, what what can we do from an indigenous perspective, from a, from a workers and, and people involved in industry and in the supply chain is, is talk to the, kind of temper that story and ta- talk about you know, what are the impacts? Um, you know, we talk about things like policy, just transition, and so transition, transitioning, you know, our our um, energy um, mix in in Canada, which needs to happen, uh, but we need to do it in more sustainable ways. And you know, we get left out of the conversation. Uh, indigenous people are starting to more meaningfully involve themselves in in the development of oil and gas own and everything. What is the what is the socio what is the economic impact if we transition too quickly? Um, you know, what is the socioeconomic impact? And the other part of that is we're looking at those those development projects from a, a, like a more of a holistic lens um, in terms of achieving climate goals. Are we just, um, you know, pandering to those polarized voices or are actually, you know, really truly um, solutioning to the actual needs of, of not just the environment and climate, but of the people that were impacting those decisions? And yeah, your example is, is a great one. What are you know what what what's this what's the economic and socioeconomic impact of that? Um, you know, it, it it it's it's things that we jump to um, far too quickly, and we we you know because uh, sentiment says this is bad, we got to do this policy and things like that, and so um, it's really important we have a balanced, practical, uh, thought out solution, and it and its holistic impacts. Um, you know, environmental impacts are far much are much more sweeping. Then you know our, our carbon footprint and and, and um, but there's there's other environmental impacts to consider as well too. Understand balance. Um, you know what are the impacts of going one way versus the other way, and then yeah, solutions solutions need complex energy solutions and energy mixes, um, and then we can't um, yeah simply leave out here and there and everywhere. Um, and, al- so and also de- here, there. yeah, and also development uh, as just a tool for uh, you know the. Old- the many people maybe think that um, development is what causes environmental problems, but it also can help solve environmental problems. Where if you mm-hmm. have infrastructure, you have uh, things like cement or mm-hmm. you know power, electricity, uh, you know different kinds of, of plumbing or um, you know damming or various things that are mm-hmm. large scale development projects. They can help you um, survive the weather essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or or like he says, you know, the uh, the footprint of a nuclear power plant compared to any other source of energy. It's time. Uh-huh. It's it's crazy yep. that the environmentalists are opposed to nuclear energy. When yeah. when the environmental movement first started, you know, in the 20th century, I think they actually started out as pro nuclear uh, uh-huh. because it is envir- environmentally friendly. It takes up less space uh-huh. and creates more energy. It's great by every metric, and it's really refreshing to hear that. You're like a nuclear nerd, cause, you know. We yeah. we are too. We we're not like industry people, but 
we've, yeah. we've discovered how awesome nuclear is despite mm-hmm. all the propaganda around it. I'm right. curious, actually, um, you know, what I hear a lot, one of the, I've, I've been a nuclear advocate for a few years now, and uh, the waste problem is one of the biggest things that people talk about. That's one of the biggest propaganda mm-hmm. talking points, which I think is a moot point. You can debunk that very easily. But mm-hmm. the other one that a lot of people leverage a lot is that it hurts indigenous people because mm-hmm. it's historically, you know, there's been uranium mines that um, have exploited, um, like you were saying, indigenous lands and and and, uh-huh. and hurt people in these communities for this resource extraction. Um, when you're talking, I what I hear is uh, the problem isn't whether or not to develop resources. The problem is sovereignty. Is that people mm-hmm. eat sovereignty over their land and their resources, mm-hmm. and they should be able to get rich and and um, enjoy the fruits of their their land um, without yes. you know with their consent. And that's really what it's all about. It's not whether or not mm-hmm. to develop or not. Um, yeah. that's really where they try to shift the conversation. But I'd love to mm-hmm. hear you talk a little bit more about um, the nuclear. Nuclear energy from yeah. a, an indigenous perspective, I suppose. Absolutely. Um, so, yes. Yeah, so, I've got to do incredible things. Um, I took a certificate training program um, specifically to participate in the in the uranium mining sector in northern Saskatchewan. Um, and then that led to uh, investments in my capacity, environments, and everything like that. So, then got an engineering degree. Um I got an MBA uh, working on a public policy. The public policy degree and program, um, large part to receive quite a bit of private funding from the the nuclear and the uranium industry. So I worked for Cameco for 17 years, incredible, um, profoundly impactful experience in terms of developing my capacity as an indigenous Northern person. Um, and you're right, um, you know, the, the, and then the, the cascading socioeconomic impacts of that, the, the work I get to do in community, I get to do indigenous resource thing. I've served on boards and things like that. I have the honor of serving as the very first indigenous president of the Association of Professional Engineers, USI and Saskatchewan. So regulating, um, you know, 15, 16,000 um, professional geoscience and engineers. Uh, I got to do all sorts of incredible things that it, it's it's doubtful if I would have had that type of opportunity and those those things kind of came together if I didn't have the um, deliberate um, incentive uh, to work in an industry that uh, recognized I need to participate more meaningfully and more equitably. Uh, I needed opportunity um, that was dedicated to people from my region. And so I, I like to say my my story is an, is a, is an example of, of the socioeconomic impact we can have, not just the dollars and the salaries and things like that, but all those kinds. So what are, what are going to be the health outcomes and the educational outcomes of my children? Because now I'm more affluent. Now I'm participating, you know, from a, a more equitably, um, you know, still very much indigenous, still very much love my culture and my values, never compromise on that, but also being part of, you know, society more equitably um, and, and growing in that way. And so an example, just one example of, of hundreds, if not thousands of, of indigenous Northern people who have been involved in the sector um, from a, in, in the mining environment and space. And so um, incredible opportunity, very meaningfully, very equitably and, and progressively growing. So we appreciated the treatment historically, but it continues to recognize us as more meaningful, more value add, uh, not, not stakeholders, but partners. 
more agreements are being developed, more more procurement opportunities and things like that are happening at more increasing rates. And so that's an example of development with with a with a strong social license. Um, you know, the community granted uh, the, the region granted a social license, and it continues to grow, and there continues to be support. Even so much so where the, the, the region had enough trust in the industry where it contemplated uh, nuclear waste management. Um, coincidentally, I have, a, I have a meeting this afternoon with the Nuclear Waste Management Organization and to talk about Indigenous participation perspective in there. But so much so where the community had enough social license, enough sentiment, enough trust, and enough comfort with the technology and the health physics of, of, of um, you know, uranium mining and, and the nuclear fuel cycle that they're contemplating, that serious contemplation, but then criticized by media as being sellouts and, yeah. and saying, hey, you're just doing this to make money and everything. And then, you know, uh, yeah, and, and trivializing their participation. Yeah, God forbid, right? And so- um, <laughs> You have to be poor. The other, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? And the <laughs> other really cool experience I had was I was invited to Greenland uh, to speak and to speak on development, to speak as an indigenous part, uh, as an indigenous um, person participating in the industry, and, and I chose to speak about how I was doing it equitably, how I was self-determining, how I was not compromising on anything, how I was not taking, but how I was part of the solutioning, uh, the capacity development uh, investments and initiatives. So I was, you know, not along for the ride. I actually, you know, got to influence how that grew and moved forward. Uh, but the other aspect I talked about was um, waste and waste management. And so, you know, I was up there in a panel and then being challenged, um, different leaders in the space and, and some of the questions they asked, and, and they were good questions. They talked about tailings. Is, is it, isn't it incredibly hazardous? Absolutely, it's incredibly hazardous. Like a lot of things, like gasoline, and gasoline <laughs> is incredibly hazardous. We're very comfortable with managing it. Uh, we're very comfortable containing and transporting and all those type of things because we understand uh, with uranium and, and nuclear, we're relatively, um, you know, and, and we're more so along that cycle in terms of our understanding of its risks. Um, but, you know, how do we manage that in, in, in northern Saskatchewan? How do we manage that risk, right, in, uh, in innovation and in engineering and monitoring and design? And we mitigate those risks through... Um, management systems and compliance and certifications and everything like that and regulatory regime, yeah. um, not just where we're satisfying requirements, but we, you know, the company I work for actually, um, you know, that that was the minimum threshold and codes of practices that exceeded performance. And so talked to and inspired and said, don't, you know, I'm not here to say develop. I'm here to say absolutely be cautious, but engage uh, yourselves in, in the experience and the, and the education required to make informed decisions. Um, develop your resources in sustainable and meaningful ways, include the Indigenous community, um, and, and don't compromise on the innovation and the integrity of, of the systems and the infrastructure to be able to support the risk. Uh, absolutely not. Don't do that. Like, you know, yes, it's dangerous, but it's it's entirely safe if you engage it and develop it in the most appropriate and, and meaningful way and include the Indigenous population as, as you know, as, as partners in that solutioning. And so... Um, yeah, do you, like, you know, do you feel like the audiences you talk to with that message? Do you think that do you think that some of them don't want to hear it, or do you think uh, people? I think so. I think yeah, yeah, you're absolutely. Those who have their mind set up, you could see that. But I mean, man, that's logic. It's like and and it's it's objective, and and I'm not here to push any industry. I have no private interest, you know, no no um, no financial interest in doing so. It's just the merits. I've seen yeah. the outcomes. Mm -hmm. uh, my interest is what moves Indigenous people forward, um, 
you know, what's in reality you're saying? Yes. Yeah. 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 God forbid. Right. And so, (laughs) yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's like tempering those polarized sentiments is like, yeah, yeah, with some logic, it's, uh, it's an interesting space to be in. Wasn't it funny that, uh, the assumption is that you can only possibly have these opinions if you're just a total paid off shell for the fossil fuel industry. When Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if you saw this, this graphic that went around from Robert Bryce that, at least okay. in the advocacy world, there's way more money in being against all development, being against all hydrocarbons completely, rather mm-hmm. than four. Like there's four times more money going against it. When mm-hmm. you know the the fact is that like we need we need the stuff to live, and what you know everything you're saying, I think any reasonable logical person would say, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's not self interest, right? And so, you know, I, I spoke with some groups lately, and and you know, it's like. At the end of the day, Indigenous Resource Network, what we're interested, of course, advocating for our members, but um, we we dug a little deeper and built it off of a foundation that says, our ultimate goal is to what makes the lives of Indigenous people. And so with that, it's allowed us with, it's opened us up and and created like a true nonpartisan kind of view on uh, how do we coordinate and cooperate with different organizations? Like, are you interested? You know, your government, government organization. Hey, wait a second. Activist, are you interested in making the indigenous? The, well, then there's a real holistic view to that. Like, and, and there's negative consequences for 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 activism in, in these areas to other indigenous. If you truly are like and then the other thing, too, is like, let's hear from the community, not a facet, not and not a specific group, but let's hear from the community, um, you know, because very capable, very engaged, very educated in terms of what they think and what they want, and they just want to be engaged in that conversation. And, you know, development needs to look like that. Conversations need to be like that. And um, yes, and then what happens is, yeah, there's there's far more logic. There's far more reasoning. Um, members, are, our members are super excited about that. There's like, yeah, don't, don't you know, I might be a, a proprietor in oil and gas, but we see the bigger picture. How do we advance, kind of how do we make the lives of Indigenous people better across all industries, across, you know, and things like that. And they see kind of the bigger picture and we, we make sure that sits over everything we talk about. Um, so yeah, we're not, we're not zealots for any industry. No, uh, you want to, you want to push that project and development through and not really engage the Indigenous community. We're absolutely against that. Um, you know, we don't have meaningful participation and engagement. There's not really informed communities and understanding and engage in the economics or the risk of that. No, we don't support that development at all. We support, you know, what, what good participation development looks like, um, be a part of that, um, be a part of the, you know, the economy, uh, the mix and, um, yeah. And then that, it does people, <laughs> it's interesting. I think the the network is starting to take up a space where, you know, again, there, there's other indigenous organizations doing much the same work and we're going to lift each other up. But, you know, I think people are a little, they're still figuring out what to do with that. It's like, wait a second. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that makes a little bit of sense. It's like, yeah, I'd like to think so. You know, there's, there's solutions here and we want to talk meaningfully, respectfully and, and practically. And, and uh, yeah. And so I, I think we're, we're, we're growing and picking up steam and, and much quicker. And uh, as, 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 especially as we internationalize and then you know, Canada, and it's really helping us too as well too, because Canada is recognizing that, you know, the international community is, is, is kind of in line with some of our thoughts and messages and stuff like that. And so, um, but we're excited the impact uh, it's going to make because at the end of the day, we want to make the lives of Indigenous people better. Yeah, that's fantastic to hear that there's more groups like 
what you're doing uh, coming up and, mm-hmm. and and saying, no, this is good. Um, and I, you know, what's beautiful is that um, there's a sentiment, I think, that's emerging throughout the world now that you actually, we can all develop together that it doesn't have to be we develop at the expense of you or you develop mm-hmm. at the expense of us. That actually this sort of win-win cooperation sentiment right. that like we can all develop and it, it's you say oh i'm not just in it for me it's like you're in it for your community they're in it for their community and everyone benefits together and that's like this new sentiment that's sort of taking over the world which is a Uh really uh wonderful thing i think so i think that's great what you guys are doing i think you've been like spearheading i mean as far as i can see my limited perspective on twitter i I just Uh see you guys and 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 just seeing that voice that's so different because yeah Uh like alex said around here it's like the the what what indigenous people want is wielded against against industry that's literally mm-hmm. how they they shut down our nuclear power in new york um mm-hmm. and it's it's really unfortunate but um yeah it's exciting to see to see that yeah. this new sentiment co- yeah for about. sure we we really view it like this is not a zero-sum game yeah um you know there's not ultimate losers and ultimate winners and yeah. we really see it that way you know, um, those are polarized and radically against. There's something here in it for you. What if we can develop something, you know, is, is your ultimate goal that there's zero development? Well, there's a problem there. Yeah. It, it, isn't your goal about the, you know, especially if it's your indigenous and, and activism, then isn't it about making the lives of indigenous people better? Um, can we develop this project that meets different um, environmental performance, right? Performance yeah. that maybe you say, uh, rightfully so, doesn't meet world standards or best practice. Um, but if we involve indigenous people, can we, and we've seen examples of that and we tell stories around that. So, you know, I think every group on either side, industry can, can win, um, you know, uh, our, we can achieve our climate goals. Uh, we can achieve better environmental performance. Uh, we can win everywhere. We just have to think about it a little differently. I'm really yeah. excited about communities participation in that because we're driving it. Yeah. And when you have skin in the game, when it's your le- when it's your home, when it's your mm-hmm. people, you're incentivized mm-hmm. to not destroy it. You're you're incentivized yes. to balance development with still having a beautiful home <laughs> that people right. thrive off of. So it, it's the the sovereign the sovereignty probably is the best way to protect the environment, right? Um, it is. Yeah. yeah, it's our home. It's our home. Absolutely, and we have, you know. We don't have we don't have the fee simple relationship with our land, right? It's not about ownership and plopping a house down and you know and we got this plot and taxes is like no, we have a relationship with it's that reciprocity. We have a relationship with all the little creatures I heard one of my <laughs> elders say and you know we have a relationship with with the environment, the plants and and the systems and everything like that and yes, um and and we can develop this uh and we've seen examples of it in a way that we can still respect that relationship right and and still move forward still move the world forward yeah um and still move society forward and yes um you know this our our backyards are not just you know again you know a quarter acre or things like that they're large sweeping swaths of of uh very very important land to us and we want to make sure we'll make sure you know um you know no one i i i don't see indigenous people um especially in great numbers no one's selling out for that you know, those values, those systems, uh, our connection to the land is, is incredibly important. And so, yeah. and, and we can develop those. 
um, in ways that ensure that we can still use um, and still practice ceremony and still practice culturally and, and still enjoy it. Yeah, you got plenty of room. I mean, Canada is a huge country in the middle on the land. Yes, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. What about um, the idea of um, using the resources that you're extracting? So, for example, um, many environmentalists are very against, let's say, having a, a car that that uses gas and oil. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, you know, when we look at maps around the world about you know, the areas of the world where, re- you know, resources get extracted, like let's say oil, um, uh-huh. the most exploitative places are where the people there don't even get to use the oil. It just gets sent uh-huh. away uh, uh-huh. and they don't actually get to use any oil to raise their own standard of living. So uh-huh. that is, are there any dynamics of that where, um, you know, yeah, absolutely. there's a gap um, in like how much you get to use versus how much yeah. you like to use? Well, first of all, that's a Canadian issue that we don't develop the value chain of the commodities. <laughs> it's not just an indigenous issue. It's a Canadian issue. We export so much raw material and raw product, um, you know, where we're not engaged in the value chain and in, in the um, you know, refinement and, and things like that. And oil and gas, um, you know, in nuclear, we, we, we ship quite a bit of raw product, um, you know, and then we refine and enrich to a degree and then ship that as well to um, why we've never exported more power, um, you know, and things like that. And so, you know, it's a national thing, but from an indigenous perspective, yes, um, that's also a concern too. And so, you know, uh, so many new strategies, development strategies around oil and gas, but critical minerals and things like that. How do we, how do we develop the value chain and the supporting industries along that to be able to um, participate right along that side, because that's where you add more value, more wealth is created, not just in raw material. Uh, we have communities in, in the oil and gas sector that are starting to develop into different hydrogen industries uh, from natural gas. And so building the infrastructure, um, you know, to develop, you know, blue hydrogen and, you know, working through logistics in terms of the transportation complexities and stuff like that. And so engaged in, in subsequent industries as well too, to extract more value out of, you know, resources that come out of land. Uh, we're seeing more acumen and sophistication in community. It says, hey, yeah, there's we can be much more involved in, in this whole stream. Um, you know, I've seen, you know, in, in the northern uranium mining industry, um, so much economic development from the spinoff and indirect opportunities, not just necessarily from the value chain, but um, uh, the direct value chain of, of nuclear development, uh, uranium mining, enrichment, and, and um, fuel production, but um, on the supporting industries. And so uh, communities that own um, you know, um, uh, airline companies that fly in and out, uh, uh, indigenous communities that own catering companies that support the development. And so you're seeing much more of that ownership and involvement in all the supporting industries as well to recognizing, hey, there's spinoff. There's so many spinoff benefits, not just along the value chain, but um, you know the value chain also extends out um, indirectly. And let's participate more meaningfully along those in the construction industry to support the development. Huge indigenous participation involvement. Um, you know, you want to develop those resources. Well, you need the capital infrastructure to be able to do that. Indigenous businesses starting to build, direct, uh, even operate. Um, so involved in, I guess, the subsequent industries to that too. So it's like. Okay, maybe it doesn't make as much economic sense to have a refinery right up here in in northern Canada, but 
it makes a hell of a lot of sense to invest in all the spinoffs as well too. You're going to need infrastructure. You're going to need construction. You're going to need, uh, and eventually reclamation and, and remediation. You're going to need, um, you know, catering and, and camp. And so you're seeing partnerships. You're seeing all sorts of business types to those industries as well too. But again, not just the indigenous, but a Canadian side, there's way more desire and interest because I think recognizing kind of the full um, natural resource wealth of the country is like, how do we participate more meaningfully, um, you know, in the value chain of that? How do we develop uh, the supporting infrastructure to extract more value out of the resources? And again, uh, another great example you're, you asked that is um, Heisla Nation, Cedar LNG. We were just talking about that this week. Uh, they're developing a, um, they're developing, a, you know, a natural gas facility, offshore facility uh, that is going to receive and then be able to ship um, and then put into ships. And so, you know, the, the technology is required to kind of depressurize and then pressurize and everything like that. And so another kind of along the natural gas, so there's the, there's the, there's the mining. We have members that are involved in the mining and the extraction, um, you know, the gas in, in, in um, Northern Alberta. Um, we have indigenous people involved in the pipeline. Um, some, you know, not so much ownership, but more on the, the monitoring and more on the spinoffs, but then communities owning the infrastructure to be able to support and ship downstream. And so, yes, like incredible examples of being involved. Yes, there's communities that are benefiting from the extraction, you know, uh, 1500 miles away. And then we have communities that are benefiting from the liquefaction and, and the transport um, uh, in addition there too. And so um, that's happening. It's happening in more places. There's more indigenous participation involved in different levels. And um, yeah, it's an exciting time to um, uh, to be engaged in reconciliation um, in this time. But uh, we can, I think we still got a, a ways to go in terms of ch achieving kind of equitable participation. We'll still advocate for that, um, but it's happening and there's great examples and we're going to tell those stories where it's happening at greater rates. Nice. I I have a, a few questions that might be might be a little too spicy, but I'm I'm curious two things like what are your what are your thoughts on wind and solar and and intermittent mm -hmm. renewables? We're not huge fans of them, but yeah, the, yeah. My other question is what is this? What is the biggest misconception that that Indigenous Resource Network wants to clear up? Like, what is the worst take that you hear out there? Absolutely. So I'll, I'll speak to some of the misconceptions and the challenges and issues and some of the positives, balance. We like balance. And so- I like that. First of all, yeah. First of all, the technologies um, and, and um, you know, the, the deployment, the technologies and everything, like they're clean, but they're not as clean as we understand. Uh -huh. um, all the resources required, the oil and gas required to produce, you know, that technology is considerable. Yeah. Um, to produce wind turbines um, and then the supporting infrastructure, transportation, to produce solar farms, uh, the mining that needs to happen for the cells and everything like that. Um, you know, they're not they're not as clean and as pure as we'd like to think. Yeah. Um, and, and that's fine. Just that's that's the reality of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we do need the supporting industries. We can't transition from one to the other because we'll never get those, the plastics and, and everything involved in developing sure. and deploying those technologies without oil and gas. And so to say one or the other is not realistic. Uh, and it's, it's yeah, it's just not true. It's not factual. Um, and so that's that's a huge misconception. The other thing too is there's quite a bit of uh, pollution that comes, aesthetic pollution, um, land use, the footprint required for um, being able to generate. They can't generate baseload because of the intermittent nature of the technology. Um, 
But on the flip side, and that's another misconception, is, is we can't rely on these entirely for our energy needs and the growth and the footprint. They're, they're not the solution. They're part, they're not some misconceptions. They're part of the solution. So mm. they're part of the mix. There's a place yeah. for them. Um, what we're finding is indigenous communities are swinging left and, and then going all in on some of these, which is great. Owning in things. There's some challenges. Might, might just own and participate and use land for them, but there's also, you know, struggles on the operation and the, um, you know, all other aspects of the value chain, uh, which we'd like to see more of. Um, and then, yeah, and so, and then the other misconception is is the economic benefit and impact that they have compared to other industries. And so, um, you know, if you had an oil resource or if you had a plot of land and you developed a wind farm versus developing, a, you know, a gas resource, the economic benefits, you can't even compare the economic benefits. Uh, and that's today's day and age in commodity pricing, absolutely. Meaning um, that the oil would be way more beneficial than... Way more beneficial economically, yeah. absolutely. Yep. And so, um, and then we look at it through the lenses like this industry hurt and this one doesn't hurt. It's like, no, they both hurt and they both, but they both really help. Yeah. And then we need to, if we're going to make a solution, like what is the overall net impact of that, right? And yeah. so, um, yeah, there's, there's, and then who's really driving those development decisions? Is it, is it really the community? Uh, do they, are they fully engaged on the full solution, the full and net impact of it? Um, or are they charmed by, you know, a wind developer uh, that develops exclusively and says, this is the best thing and it aligns with your values and everything, let's yeah. build it and give you terms and stuff. And they don't really have kind of a, um, a full suite, uh, representative suite of solutions presented to them, right? Then they go yeah. one way or the other. And so, Charmed yeah, that's is a another... good way to put it. Right? And Charmed so, yeah, is a very and... good way to put it. A I very think good way to... for people like myself, I hear people, you know, when I talk to industry people like you or somebody like Meredith Engwin, they'll say, you know, wind and solar have their place and they're very reasonable and rational about it. Yeah. There's no, there's no um, moralism. And then yeah. it's like, okay, yeah, that's totally reasonable. But then you get mm -hmm. into the political arena with the activists and they say that they, they there's so much falsehoods promoted about mm -hmm. wind and solar that you get people like me, I start to get defensive and I say, no, no, wind and solar is not what you think it is. And then you start to hate wind and solar. Um, mm -hmm. So it is refreshing to talk to somebody who is... Mm -hmm. You're very diplomatic. Yeah, and you're diplomatic about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think I think to do this job well, I think you're the I right need person to be. for the job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, yeah. and it really helps that you know my my experience is in is in engineering and science and industry. Um, you you know, believe and in science. From that, yeah, huh? <laughs> you believe in science? <laughs> yes, I do. I subscribe <laughs> to yeah the logic, and so absolutely, and so. For sure, yeah. The, the believe science thing. I don't know if it's big in in big in can as big in Canada mm -hmm. as it is here in the United States, but there's a lot of people who say shout believe science at you who don't actually believe, <laughs> and yeah. will say something completely anti scientific. So yeah, it is kind of the the big irony. I, do you have that there in Canada too? It's here as well too, absolutely. And so politics starts to spill in and ideals and everything, and yeah. and then we, you know, society stops talking logically about things, yeah. and uh, um, yeah, we start to take different views of things, and yeah, it's it's a it's a persistent problem across the border as well too. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Again, I'm just like I I love the, what you guys are doing. I think there's people should be all over the 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 world doing what indigenous resource network is doing where it's people who mm -hmm. are just 
bringing up this rational perspective and you guys are you know you guys are kind of combative um mm -hmm. in your um in your pr alex is like scrolling through your your twitter feed right now looking uh -huh. at some of these these things that you put out where you really are head on with the environmental activists and i mm -hmm. i i have so much respect for that um Perfect. and you guys but you guys have talking to you today you have the expertise and the knowledge to back it up too i know i tried asking you inflammatory questions and you didn't but like <laughs> diplomatic i'm looking at the twitter i'm like oh this guy's gonna you know pop off on some of these things yeah, yeah. that's fine i'm glad i'm glad you're in the position you're in because you know you can you you, you know you you can meet people halfway who Perfect. are actually open to it i think i think so many of the, the environmentalists that we picture in our head or that we talk to are the ones that are not meeting halfway that they have their own agenda that no matter what you say to them they're not it's not going to change their mind absolutely no i but some of the funnest conversations i ever had was with environmentalists where i say i'm an environmentalist too yeah. let's talk about that <laughs> let's talk about that so they're like no 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 not that way <laughs> yeah yeah i was like wait a second i think we understand this you protect it i protect the environment too it's like but yeah. i think yeah let's let's talk about what that means well, so. i just found another really good graphic I, i'm just going to read graphics uh to hey, the podcast well, and you're just going to react yeah. to them i guess but okay i guess they're all so good you guys whoever knows your social media is doing great yeah but, uh this uh, Robert Morasti, who is the uh, executive director of the Digis. Was, who was. Was. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, hope everything's okay. That's, no, that's all right. That's that's me now. And so <laughs> I was the board chair. We went through a leadership transition. Okay. Uh, I helped to step it up as a director. Now I'm serving as an executive director. So, yeah. okay. no, no, it's great. No, it's, that's okay. fine. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's a quote. So he said, uh, when Hollywood denounces natural resource development, it condemns many of our communities to remain in poverty, continue being dependent on the government. Our communities mm -hmm. are trying to move away from that. Yeah. So no, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. So I think that's another valuable thing too. I, I mentioned Avatar before, but mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's lots of examples where um, either directly in the movies themselves or the activism or in the the funding, where they just want to fund people to be what they picture in their heads as as you mm -hmm. know. A romantic view of yeah, yeah that relationship. Yeah, people are supposed I, to be against resource development. Yeah, uh, a, a you know, Hollywood, a Hollywood worthy story of uh, yeah, our relationship with these things, right? right? Um, good, uh, yeah, and and you know his quote, hundred percent right. And you know we talked about some of the platitudes in terms of you know poverty, poverty reduction, and things like that. We're managing poverty. We're just tired of it, and and that's true. And poverty from a sense of not just poor, fiscally poor communities socioeconomically poor, educational outcomes lower than an average Canadian, uh, uh, health outcomes poorer than the average. We're tired of managing that. Yeah. Um, and then one thing we're getting really frustrated is that economic development that has come through uh, resource development has achieved greater rates of self-determination, of economic reconciliation, of, of greater outcomes in, in socioeconomic health uh, through source funding, through designing our own infrastructure, you know, building our own, um, you know, uh, our own social programs and stuff like that, then counting on, then convincing the government to do it. We have our own money. We make our own decisions. We're engaged in the solutioning, the programming. We know our issues better than, you know, some bureaucrat that is determining budget. Um, and so that's, that's really frustrating. They're doing what they can. The government's doing what they can. Um, but they're doing it with a very limited learned experience, whereas solutioning coming from communities from a lived and learned experience. And so, you know, 
we have a good sense of what a what a program needs to look like or what a service or or even just the employment on the economic side you know, we know how we want to be engaged to achieve greater outcomes and we're just we're, we're counting on the government to do that it hasn't worked it's not working we know that we're not achieving the rates of that it's happening I'm not going to say that there's funding all over there's there's governance and then child welfare and stuff cool things happening but we're also self-determining those things at greater rates. And that's coming through economic development. And probably one of the biggest drivers of that and that self-determination is the relationship that, that is progressively growing in the natural resource sector. And uh, either through equity now, um, you know, that's that's kind of the, the, the new gold standard, but governance, being on the boards of these entities, um, you know, the management and stuff like that. So um, yeah, we're doing it at much greater rates. Yeah, you know, I just found another. I found another tweet where you guys called out Mark Ruffalo and Leonardo. Leonardo took, on, I took on the Hulk. Yeah, <laughs> you know he's yeah, in our, he's, oh, in our back, he's in our backyard too. Mark Ruffalo is very engaged with New York politics mm-hmm. and environmentalism. Yeah. He is bad news. Yeah, yeah, and like I mean, you know, it, it aligns with their ideals, and and they do what they do, and bless their hearts. But they have a very limited view of that. <laughs> you know, again, their ideals and values are lining up with those radicalized people that are just pissed off. And like I said before, don't blame them. So disengaged from this process. Um, but certainly does not speak for what we found a growing sentiment. We polled, uh, you know, indigenous communities and found 65% were in favor. That is contradictory to the narrative in terms of what indigenous people, um, you know, I'd have no problem if, if there was an organization railroading rights and and it wasn't in activism. It was is it was essentially uh, poor engagement and consultation. If if someone like him showed up and then helped to temper and manage that, that'd be great because that would align with what we're trying to do. Right. Um, but at the same time, speaking for us generally, um, you know, and not listening kind of that whole story, that's problematic. Um, you know, and, and the more that these actors do that with their profile, yeah. it's problematic for us. Problematic for those that want to develop on our terms. I want to self determine. Right. So uh, Mark Ruffalo speaking for Indigenous people is not self-determination and, and bless him for taking up that cause, you know, and, and you know, I'm, I'm sure it's caused him nothing but problems as well, too. But um, but at the same time, it's also causing us problems. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'd love think... to be at the table with the Hulk to talk about <laughs> this and you know, educate, spend some time in Hollywood. But, uh, you know, until that time comes. Well, I think he, he has, uh, you know, I'm going to psychoanalyze him. I've never met him. I don't know. Him, but I think he has. <laughs> There's something missing in his life, and there's some void that he's trying to fill, because he's always like, scre- you know, no matter what the environmental issue of the day is, he's like screaming about it. He's like yeah. holding up a jug of like dirty water and stuff, and he just yeah. he just needs to like find some hobbies or something, just like chill right? out. You know? Yeah, the, the Marvel chill, movies chill. are not the more satisfying yeah, enough. not satisfying. Smashing is not satisfying <laughs> enough. So yeah. I'd, I'd love to do that. So but yeah, right? to each their own. Each their own. And again, like again, yeah, you you're right. I'm pretty diplomatic and and empathetic. Like, and I've seen all sorts of things all over, and we'll work with all sorts of people. It's frustrating. Um, and you, you know, I and from the other perspective, man, I get being pissed off. Um, you know, churches are being burned down by Indigenous people in Canada. I'd never do that. That's not wow. what I do. I know so many, and, and the majority of Indigenous people would do it. But I get them being pissed off. Hey. I just don't get with how they're dealing with things. You know, if if Mark Ruffalo is super pissed. I get him being pissed off. There is enough examples out there, but it it the the this it's becoming disproportionate. So much more good examples of good engagement industry, indigenous, and everything. We never told those stories. We sensationalized, only told those small. 
So I don't want to piss people off with just a small piece of the story. I want to inform them with the full suite. Maybe they don't get as pissed. You know, maybe they they have a different perspective and maybe they don't jump on a platform uh, quickly without being truly informed. We don't want to be. We want to be engaged in all solutions and, and practical kind of applications and, and the good and the bad. We, we work with industry. We don't throw industry under the bus. We'll go to them and say, hey, this is not really working. You know, but I mean, we won't tweet it to say this damn company did this, yeah. right? And so, right. Yeah. And we'll go to that company and say, hey, how did this happen? Mm-hmm. You know, how can we make sure? Uh, what can we leverage to help you understand how to increase your performance and accountability? Own it. Own it. Yeah. Right. And so um, don't lie. Treat if, 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 you know, the indigenous community wouldn't be a, um, a true partner if, if they were truly engaged in part of that, that issue as well, too. And the solution that comes through that. Right. So, yeah. Very, yeah, yeah, very practical. Yeah, I mean, I think the most probably the most frustrating thing, and I, uh, I've been guilty of this, is like just reacting to the most extreme people because those are the voices that get through. I know, and right? then, and then that they and they're saying things that are just totally unreasonable, and mm-hmm. uh, and they're they're using all kinds of examples, which yeah. they're twisting them to the, to fit their narrative, and I think just yeah. just reacting to them is really bad. Like, just I think I have- what you're talking about is responding to reality as it really is which is looking around and saying like look we need these we're gonna we're gonna use these resources one way or the other let's do it Uh the way that benefits the most people and Uh let's support you know support people in having a good life like whether whether Uh you're indigenous or you're you know somebody that uh is going to benefit from the resources being extracted Uh you get to use them Uh to stay warm or to keep your house powered or to be able to have a good job. You need energy. Um, I think that's just this having an appreciation of that is something that the people are not doing anymore. Um, increasingly, yeah. which is sad. But you know, talking to you today, I'm, I'm really glad that uh, you know we got to hear what you said about it. It's, it sounds like there's a lot of people with you, which is awesome. There is, there is, uh, and there's more and more, and it's more affirming and more exciting as we. Uh, give a safe space for those people to be proud of of their involvement and what they're doing, and that that's really empowering for me. Um, you know, there's, isn't that, isn't there's that a lot bad, of though that they need to say. I mean, to, to right? need a safe space to talk about something that we need to live. Yeah, yeah. Like we yeah. can't. So we wouldn't be able to support the population we have today if we didn't have resource extraction. And to yeah. say like, oh, I need a safe space to like even talk about this. That. I just speak yeah. to how crazy things are getting. I, I don't right? know. I'm to cut you off, but no, 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 no you're absolutely right. Like, yeah, it, it's ridiculous that we can't talk. That we need a safe space to talk about things realistically and practically. Right. Like, that's yeah, yeah. Then that's you. You draw a light on a, on a real important issue, and especially in North America, in terms of our polarization and politics and everything like that. And so, um, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention one of the things. And you mentioned the good life. Um, or a good life. And, and like where I come from, we, we use the term minimum atsuin. Uh, so it's, it's good life, mina, good in my Cree and mimatsuin is life. But we, we use that term in its minimum translation. Minimum atsuin. Yeah. Minimum, so minimum atsuin. Yeah. And so cool. it, the way it's spelt is minu pimatisawin, uh, but we say minimum atsuin. And so, um, but it, it's the good life. Um, and how do we live the good life? And the good life is not necessarily um, what, a, what, what does my investment portfolio look like? What's my rates of return? You know, what is my, what's the square footage? Uh, what's the quality of my life? Am I flying business versus economy? Uh, minimum Atsuin is about 
is about uh, like how, how am I living in relation to everything around me? And so, um, you know, is my, my, the, the goodness of my life and how good I'm living it is only, um, it is determined by how good everything is around me and how everyone is living a good life. And, and you could find that, that, that value, and it, it actually translates quite well into other language groups. It's pretty consistent across Indigenous community. And there's that reciprocity, there's, there's that good relations, uh, wakotuin, um, and, and wichituin, meaning wichituin, so other words that speak to relationship and kinship. Um, but we talk about them in, in IRN, and we talk about them in the community. It's like, how do, we, how do we live the good life? Like, and how do we, you know, and, and what it does is it says that life can be lived where it's not a zero-sum game. Um, you know, and I think what it does is it tempers capitalism, you know, like capitalism's great, um, it, it, but, you know, there's shades of gray. That's the issue. And so I, I'm not all about the wealth disparity in, in North America, not at all, not about, at all about, you know, 0 0.001 uh, owning 99.9. I'm not at all about that. Uh, I'm not a socialist, um, but I'm also not a pure capitalist. And so uh, I believe in wealth. I believe in being wealthy fiscally, but I also like living a good life is about how do we, yeah, how do we find real solutions? How do we find practical? How do we, how do we balance everything? Um, you know, yeah. how do we have winners, winners, win, win, win solutions? Yeah. And, and so uh, really well, informs the way we do things. Yeah. Well, things. What, what you see a lot of is just the, uh, you know, especially in the, the socialist perspective, Mm -hmm. And coincidentally, a lot of these people are environmentalists who want to block everything. Is that mm -hmm. what they what they see as the solution is that everyone needs to be equally poor, rather mm -hmm. than the idea of raising the standard of living, which you need you need resource extraction to do. You, you absolutely need to industrialize. Yep, raise the standard of living. listening to the space commune podcast i'm your host fox we're here with alex today we're talking to john Desjarlais of indigenous resource network it's been so awesome john um i love hearing your perspective everyone needs to go follow indigenous resource network on twitter and support what they're doing and start their own uh version of it right uh, what do you want to plug today, John? Uh, absolutely. In line with following what we do, supporting what we do, uh, we'd love to kind of share a philosophy in our organization across the world in terms of other interest groups, um, kind of support, um, you know, building a balanced narrative, a practical narrative, um, challenge the polarization, um, find solutions for the issues that the world face today. Um, but yeah, really excited about what we do in Canada, um, excited about all the players uh, I think that are starting to move that way, especially all the decision makers in terms of good indigenous involvement in the industry. So yeah, please like and share and subscribe to the Indigenous Resource Network. Very cool, very cool. Space Commune is a media project by two upstate New Yorkers seeking an alternative to the degrowth and deindustrialization paradigm being thrust upon us by the Great Reset Agenda. We love our country, the United States of America, and take inspiration from our revolutionary founding. We want win-win cooperation with Russia and China in developing the world economy for all of humanity and to make America great again. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, consider joining our Patreon. We also make other content such as documentaries on YouTube and streaming and essays you can find on our website at spacecommune.com. 